I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Eddie Durkin. Martin Maloney has joined me all the way from Stockholm. How are you, Martin? I'm good, mate. Thanks very much. As you've seen, there was a bit of drama trying to get the kids to bed because it was uh, an unprecedented night of visiting that was lots of crack and good fun. So I was like, okay, taxi is back to the house. And uh, being my kids, you know, they don't really uh, do as they're told. I don't know if that's something genetic or maybe I'm just a soft father that enjoys the crack of the kids a bit too much. <laughs> well, don't fair- tell the social. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, you did get them to bed there. It took a bit of a while. But anyway, you got them to bed. So in fairness to you, um, it looks like you've got your work cut out for you. Um, oh, big time. Oliver Stone's going to make a movie about them, apparently, called Natural Born Piss Takers. <laughs> um, Great kids, though. Love them to bits. Catch a bullet for them. Catch a bullet for those kids. So, well, t- I, sp- for you. I suppose, tell me, uh, sorry, sometimes the, the lag of the internet's kind of catching when you're saying something, so the, the apologies if it seems like I'm cutting across you. Um, what was going to say, the, you're living in Stockholm now, right? Um, how long mm-hmm. have you been living out there? And it looks cold over there. You're, you're very wrapped up there this hour of night. Well, it's just become a force of habit, like um, of wearing the, wearing the hat and the scarf in the house. It's, it's kind of like an extra cosy touch. And um, yeah, I don't know why I do it. It's just, it's just become like, oh, that's nice. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it is cold. I think it's minus nine degrees Celsius here now at the moment. Um, we had a huge snowstorm there about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, where we had a half a meter of snow that came in one day. Uh, and that was that was crazy. Uh, I think the most snow I've ever seen in one go was probably when I was in New York in 2006. And uh, I think a meter of snow fell. And everyone in Brooklyn was like, oh, my God, look at the state of the place. And I was like, oh, this is normal for me, like, living in Sweden. So I first came to Sweden in 2003. I went to, I went into railing, and I was talking to my friends back in Swinford. And they were, you know, I was like, okay, I've got this idea. In April, we're going to go for a month around Europe with an interrail ticket. And everyone was like, yeah, sound, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, I bought my, I went to use it on the Keys in Dublin, bought me an interrail ticket. And I said to everyone else, well, look, I've got my ticket. Are you? What, have you got your ticket? And everyone was like, nah, sorry about that. And I was like, well, it looks like I'm going alone. So had a great time, met some fantastic people when I was off traveling. And for any of your <clears throat> younger audience, um, I, I thoroughly recommend it. You know, uh, Also, even if, if you're older audience, I think traveling uh, will, will do you good at, at any stage of your life, really. But uh, the second year I went back to, I ended up in Eos in Greece, which is like this kind of party island full of mad fellas. And um, went back there the year after, and a friend of mine said to me, you know, he was working with street dogs and, and cats, and he was rehoming them in Copenhagen. And I was helping out with them, getting a few quid uh, for that, amongst other jobs, playing gigs and um, working in clubs. And he said to me at the end of the month, he's like, oh, Martin, do you want to come to Sweden? I was like, Sweden? And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised when I got here because, um, you know, the, the biggest kind of cities I was used to being in was Liverpool or Dublin or Galway. So when I came to Stockholm, I, I was I had this feeling of like, how the hell doesn't anyone know about Stockholm? Because, you know, when you come here, the, the infrastructure is fantastic. Like, the, the you know, you're, you're looking at the roads and they just like, they cut them straight out of the mountains. It's got bridges and uh, fantastic uh, local transport. And, um, yeah, so I ended up meeting 
meet my ex-girlfriend and then that lasted two years and then they came over with the the cast of the Hardy books before we'd actually even done the pilot because we were mates before Hardy books and um, I got together with my now ex-wife then and uh, yeah and kind of he- here I am still in Stockholm uh, there are other places I mean from for a man of my personality I kind of feel like Stockholm is a bit restricted in terms of spontaneity and you know what happened tonight for example when i went over to my sister-in-law's just to pick up the kids and it turned into like just irish style having a laugh people coming in visiting and um yeah it's, it's kind of it's, it's not the most spontaneous spontaneous place but you know when, when you get a good network of people around you it's fine it's like anywhere else really i suppose but uh, i quite like it over here um it's nice but it's, like i said it's for a Irish comedian, you know, I've tried stand up here and I'm like, nah, I could be doing it for 10 years and I still wouldn't enjoy it. And it's like, and it's not, no disrespect to the Swedish crowd, but it's just like you have to, you're kind of left making cultural comparisons of Stockholm and where you come from. And, uh, you know, I just like it when people get your references culturally instantly. But what I would, what I like when, I, when I'm gigging, I'll deliberately go and do gigs in sweden without any preparation and just like eat shit on stage and then when i go up when i go on stage in ireland it's like ah i'm back so um <clears throat> yeah there's a bit of background there for you paul yeah no i totally agree with you regarding traveling i did uh quite a bit of traveling um in my younger years as well and it definitely it builds your character and you, as you say there about kind of cultures and stuff you learn to uh, adapt to other people's cultures and stuff like that and again probably the Swedes and, and the Canadians and Americans kind of have yeah. uh, you know I, I, I get where you're coming from with that um, and yeah I suppose just in terms of the whole traveling itself I mean I think it's something where that where did you go? I went to Australia uh, New York Canada then I was traveling around coaching football and stuff like that for two years and then came back but it was brilliant you got to see so much of the of the country and um of, of Canada and uh yeah I loved it I mean I definitely think that's something that everybody should do once in their life whether it's you go away for summer or whatever it is you, you move away for a couple of years just to try it out and kind of I suppose get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. have, you, have you ever gone out to out of the western world because it's it's not something that I've done um, that often, like or, or at all, really. Like I've been to Australia, States, uh, Europe, uh, but I've never like been to South America, Africa, or Southeast Asia. Just Asia, Thailand. Uh, I was there for a month. When actually Ireland were in the Euros in 2016, I was there. It was brilliant. There was loads of Irish, loads of different nationalities and stuff like that. They all kind of go there and uh it was just it made for an unbelievable atmosphere and obviously Ireland were doing well I was there when Robbie Brady scored the goal mm. against Italy and stuff so France again the bastards yeah well hopefully they do us a favour <clears throat> against England on Saturday so <laughs> do us a solid yeah um, it's going to be an interesting game though uh, I was I was quite disappointed like I really like Japan uh, especially since the last World Cup in Russia I really enjoyed how Japan were playing I think it was they they went out against Denmark and uh, just the just the absolute kamikaze football they played by throwing themselves behind the ball at any cost uh, and and then to go up against Croatia who they're always like a top three finishing team in major tournaments of the World Cup 
And uh, you could just see that the, the Japanese lads, the pressure was on them with the penalties. And uh, yeah, I like Croatia as well. You know, it'd be nice to see Croatia win for a change instead of being runners up, especially before Modric retires as well. Yeah, he's just one of those players that you want to see do, do well. Like when he won the Ballon d'Or a few years ago, I think everybody was delighted. I know Messi and Ronaldo have been so good for so long, but someone had to kind of come in and, and break that uh, cycle. And he was the one to mm. do it. And, and I think that was the World Cup of 2018 that uh, off the back of that was when he won the Ballon d'Or. I'd love to see him do something, but I think he's just aging that bit more now, I think. And uh, I think in the next yeah, Hey, aren't years, we all? Yeah, true. But I think in the next couple of years, we'll probably see him kind of fizzle out. Although he's one of those players that will probably be able to kind of finish at the top. In fairness, not, not many get to do that anymore. Mm. Then off to LA Galaxy for pasture. Or into Miami with the rest of them, or Beckham is. And is that into that? Miami. That's where a lot of um, I was now. asking about Shakiri. Where, where is he? Like Minnesota or something? I don't know. I, I actually I haven't been following him. I think. Are you a Liverpool fan? I am. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an Everton fan. So yeah. Um, I hey, do you know what? To be here's something. Right, I was born an Everton fan, and when we moved back to Ireland, when I was like, just, I, I like basically I moved back to Mayo, grew up in an Irish community in in Merseyside and so like all my family were all Everton but my mum was a Liverpool fan and I moved over to Mayo in 96 and I, and I had the old Everton top with the Danker sponsor and uh, I was just like oh, you know maybe I might switch to Liverpool but I've stayed a Liverpool uh, supporter since 96 and that's when uh, you know I, I felt the first sting against United when the United betters um, Cantona scored there in '96, but um, it's so been like a while. Jamie Carragher, a little bit, are you? Jamie Carragher, sports bar in Liverpool, mate. Come in, have some chicken wings and some fried onions. You know what I mean? It's fucking great. Get some yeah. milkshakes. It's like Eddie Rockets, but Jamie Carragher's got it <laughs> down at the one centre. Do you know what I mean? It's great. It's a great defender. Just, just a great guy for getting up there on Sky Sports and having a chat with Graham Souness and the boys. He, he, you know I mean? he actually sported Everton as a boy though, and, and then went to Liverpool a bit like you though. That's why I said. Mate, you know, at least he got paid for it, though. Well, and he got to win the Champions League. Well, that's true as well. The miracle in Istanbul. Yeah, well, I, I just think Everton are cursed um, and have been since I've been like, born anyway. So, Well, here's, here's the thing, Paul. I would like to see Everton do well because they're both Merseyside teams. Like Tramia. Yeah, actually, where, where I was born in the world, um, it's basically as the crow flies, you're about three miles away from Liverpool City Centre. But that body of water in between... You have the uh, uh, scousers, but ah, oh, you're a wool mate, you're a wool back, fucking wool back, mate. You know what I mean? You come from the posh path, and um, yeah, so Trammy Rovers from Birkenhead, they they would have been, you know, there was lads in school who would always wear the Trammy Rover jerseys, and I was always like, nah, mate, they're just shit. I'm sorry, I'm not knocking you, but you'll never get out of the second division. And I remember seeing, I was about uh, two and a half years ago, nearly three years ago, United were playing Trammy Rovers in the FA Cup. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Tramia Rovers might might just do this. I have a feeling about it. And the football pitch was just full of divots. And it was like, wasn't a very presentable pitch. And uh, yeah, they got beaten 5 0, I think it was. And I was like, well, so much for Tramia Rovers. Uh, they, used to have uh, against decent, United. they used to have a decent record back. Uh, John Aldridge the, was managing them. Yeah, and McAteer did, and John Barnes, I think, as, as well for a small period. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, they, I think they beat Everton in an FA Cup game 
Uh, I think either Walter Smith or David Moyes would have been in charge back then. It was it was a long time ago now, but well, do you know what would have you know what would have really helped if like some some lad from let's say the Emirates just came into Tramia and like, all right, Tramia, here's uh, an undisclosed gargantuan amount of oil money, and then before you know it, they'd be winning Champions League matches and and the Premiership, you know. But uh, that's the thing of football these days. It's kind of like turning to like what franchise, you know? It's like what franchise has the most money? Obviously, there's uh, coaches and, and uh, management, but um, you're you're kind of like, you know, if you've got a great team, let's say the, the United team from the United uh, the 90s into the 2000s under Alex Ferguson, that was as much as I loathed United, I also had a lot of respect for United as well. And they, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and the cool thing was you had Dennis Irwin and, and Roy Keane who were both, like Ireland players representing us in the you know one of the flagship teams of the of the English Premier League, um, so that was you know like and even when you look when I look back to clips of you know the days of Beckham, Cantona, Paul Ince, Paul Scholes, Mark Hughes, Lee Sharp, um, Dennis Owen, Roy Keane, Solskjaer, you know when you look back to those days, you're like they were that was that was like prime local football you know the fact that ferguson took them all well not all of them but took the majority of the players uh, the neville brothers and whatnot through the through the academy into the first team whereas like like in in recent years like football is basically okay we're just going to spend an exorbitant amount of money on one or two players and i i think i think if you can if you can raise your players through your through your own team hold on to them for the majority of their career uh that that's um that's the way to do it, but at the same time, if you can afford to buy legendary players as well, why not? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like he, he had such a good mix because he had, you know, experience, youth players. Um, he sold a lot of big names at the time and brought in the young players. And I remember Alan Hansen. Um, well, I don't really remember, but I remember hearing about him saying you won't win the league with kids, and he he went on to prove him wrong. But it is what it is. Um, yeah, Alan Hansen would have definitely had beef there, being a Liverpool player as well. Yeah, he Alan did. Hansen, oh, great commentator as well. As the time he scored that goal from the halfway line, I can't remember. It was, it was, I remember seeing it on TFI Friday once. That's, that's going back a while. Of uh, one of as a defender, one of one of the goals he scored was an absolute zinger. Can't remember which. Someone in the chat, tell us that in the comment section. Yeah, him and Mark Lawrence were, were unbelievable together, I believe, though. So, um, before my time out, in fairness, I will admit. But I suppose just take the fact that I, I was going to ask you, kind of, because your accent, I did get a hint of Scouse off it. And then I was kind of doing my homework and stuff like that. And it was just saying Swinford and Mayo. It wasn't really t- telling me um, Liverpool. So, I suppose that takes me nicely into, I suppose, my first kind of question of, you know, where you grew up and, and what was life like growing up and, and then bringing that into when you got into, I suppose, making short films and stuff like that and acting? Well, where I grew up, it was Merseyside. So basically, you take the ferry across the Mersey, if you fancied that, which not many people did. I had to do that myself at the age of 12. We used to get these things called saveways, which were you buy it for the day and you could just like go anywhere you like around Merseyside and me and some guys from school. We used to uh, buy these and then just... But the, you know, looking back as a as a as a father myself, I was like, parents didn't know where we were, man. We were up, going up to like 
we take the, the train over to Liverpool into the Lime Street and then just ride it to like Bootle or like Knowlesley or miles out, you know, and, and uh, there was no mobile phones or anything. Then. And, you, you know, you just made your way back home and had a mad day out with the lads in Liverpool. Um, but where I lived in, this place called Wallasey, that uh, would have had quite a large Irish community in it. And yeah, it was just like a kind of a suburb across the, the River Mersey from Liverpool. And um, yeah, I lived in a, you know, regular like three up, two down house, three sisters. And uh, quite quite liked it when I, when I lived there. It was, um, it was quite, quite technologically at cutting edge, you know, um, cable fucking internet when i was when i was about 12 they were putting down fiber optic broadband back in like the mid 90s and then i basically you know my parents had split when i was about nine and then my mum just thought you know what i'm gonna maybe it's best to move back to ireland and so my two older sisters were old enough to kind of do their own thing and me me my mum my sister dog and the cat came over to mayo then and that was kind of like whoa you know, it's just a complete culture change. So we went from like, you know, doing IT in school where you're like surfing the internet to like, you know, Swinford Secondary School. But like, because like I, how I, like it was a bit, it could be hard at times because I had an, an English accent, but I was biologically very Irish looking and, and I definitely did want to reconnect so anytime we'd be in England and we go back to Ireland for Christmas or, or for like um, summer, you know, that's where our heart felt and it always will. Like Mayo is for me, that's the ancestral spiritual homeland. And um, yeah, so it went to school there from first year to leaving cert. And um, yeah, for most part it was, it was, uh, there was some fights and whatnot along the way but i just that's the first thing i noticed about mayo's when i moved back home uh just the amount of street fights you'd see it was just like the visceral scraps happening with like 50 years and big hairy lads who were like driving tractors into school and just fucking knocking lumps out of each other in in the ball alley at lunch break and um when i went back to meet my mates in liverpool or like in wallasey i was going like lads you think you're hard lads, but you know, the town I live in is, it's fucking mental. <laughs> you know, it's like the culture was about farming and fighting and listen to grunge music and dance tunes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but you know what? It, it's, um, I have to say like, I'm, you know, Swinford did shape me in terms of it definitely made me more, um diplomatic in terms of because when i you know if you live in a city like yourself for example live in dublin if you were to all of a sudden move to a small town anywhere in ireland you would uh you would find like people knew more about you than you knew yourself like my my grandmother would come up to me when i first moved and she said oh what's this i hear about you down there i'm like how does she know all this and but people you know you're like you're you know a, a ginger kid who's come over and you, a rowdy lad who's like anything i did it was it was reported back back home before I'd even known about it. And then Uncle Mick, aka Eugene Maloney, said to me when I was a teenager, he was like, uh, no Mark, let me tell you a little secret. <laughs> Windows have eyes. And I was like, ah, so it's, so I clicked, it was all the curtain twitches looking out the window, going, Oh, that Maloney lad, no, he's up to no good. 
you know. And uh, but I enjoyed it. We had uh, we had great crack as teenagers growing up. We used to play like just either Gran Turismo, Command and Conquer, Resident Evil, or just lashings of football on the green. Oh, jumpers for goalposts and that kind of thing. Game like never-ending games of Wembley, and um, yeah, I had a great time. Met Todd off there when he was eleven. We used to go on the swimming bus to Claire Morris. And the older we got and the bigger we got, the more rowdier we got when we were there. And then we got banned for, uh, I, uh, I jumped in and f- for a laugh one day, pulled down my shorts and just like did a did a sunny, <laughs> uh, which was the opposite end of the moony, the more offensive version. And they were like, yeah, sorry, lads, you're not allowed this stuff. Like three years of swimming, we kind of outgrown it and we just became really rowdy. But uh, yeah, we just took the piss out of everything and because there was not much else to do. And then we watched a lot of comedy. Um, we just like tape things on BBC Two, Channel Four, and whatnot, and just watch that. And then, um, yeah, I ended up working in Dublin for a couple of years in construction when I was like eighteen. And uh, then I went into railing. Ended up kind of going back and forth to Ireland, and it wasn't until I, I went to Ballyferm, I did a year there, and then after that, then I was supposed to come back and do, but I ended up in Sweden, and life took took a very different turn, and. Um, yeah, basically toured off, then went on, did his degree in Ballyferma in television and film. He finished what I'd started, basically. And then 2007, he goes, Oh, Martin, do you want to do a, do you want to do like a comedy sketch? And, and I just basically took different characters I knew, like my dad and a few other people around town, put them into the Eddie Durkin character and just sat in front of a camcorder. He cut, he cut it together. And then he went to college and shown it to them and everyone really got behind it. And then we did a demo. That went up on Bebo, and then uh, a couple of months later, around Halloween 2007, everyone else from his class came in, and then we filmed the demo for the Hardy Books. That went up a year after that. Then, and one thing led to another, and then there was a lad Simon Keenan, who was who was our um, cameraman. He was working for the guys in Podge and Rodge, and he told us about this Storyland competition. And I was in Sweden at the time, and. Yeah, we we applied for it. We got in, went for the the pitching round, and we didn't think we were even going to get into the top twenty. Got into the top ten. Did the interview. Were given the um, the go ahead to do the Mitty Turbo Cup, and then we ended up winning the thing. And then they offered us a TV series, and that was met with mixed response from the general public because it was just so raw and irreverent, and it was also quite a honest betrayal of things in in rural ireland that are never mentioned you know we were just like well there's a this is how it is in most towns and cities but you know rte don't want to deal with that kind of stuff it's it's like the everyday minutiae and uh you know just fucking bored lads and gossip and mad crack lads on pills mitzies you know fucking spoilers <laughs> nissan Silates, fucking almiras Body kits, dance music, tall paw, floor fillers, Ibiza, you know, and, and and all this kind of stuff. We just we just observed, and then and then uh, I remember once meeting Dave McSavage in Galway. Uh, well, the first time I met him was outside Stevens Green, and he had a whole handful of receipts that he was saving for like his accountant, and they all just blew down the street. And he was like, "Oh, sorry, dude, I've got to go." He was like picking up all his receipts. But I met him a f- about a year later in Galway. And I'm like, oh, we were the guys, you know, we, we do Hardy Books. And he's like, oh, yeah, the guys from Mayo. I really love that, man. You know, you really you really do take society and hold a mirror up to it and really crank it up to 11. Love what you guys do. And I was like, 
Sama praise from Caesar. So like, yeah, that was a nice touch. He's a, he's a sound fella as well as McSavage. I'd love to do something with him in the future, but it's very difficult when you're living over in a different country. But uh, now the pandemic is over and Ryanair are flying again. I'll be back, Paul. Oh, and I'll be taking you down to the long hall on Georgia Street for a couple of fucking lotioners. Creamers, hey. Creamers. But I was I was back home for the first time in two and a half years in July and August. Went up to Dublin for a night. Met the old met my, met my friends, and I got you know I've got this kind of default setting where I get really rowdy and you go whoa I just shout something just as an expression of joy, and I was like oh sorry lads I'm getting a bit rowdy and they're like what are you fucking apologising for man I'm like yeah this is like who I am this is like what this is what it's about in Ireland and yeah I think lockdown time, actually killed that a little bit. Yeah, but then when I was out around, like we went to like Hogan's and, and around the George Street area, and it kind of feels like there's a there's a vibe of like it can all this can be taken away in an instant. So that's and we've already been cooked up for two and a half years. Let's go daft kind of thing. And I, I noticed like everyone looked really young. You know, obviously I'm nearly forty, but it's just like fuck, man. I feel like. Because when I, where I go out here in in Stockholm, I kind of stick to the Irish bars because. There's no, there's no like designated demographic. You'll meet people who are older. You meet people who are younger. You meet people your own age, and I kind of, it's, it's quite like that in in Ireland as well. But there's certain places where they're mostly a younger crowd will go to. So, in some ways, I felt like I had aged quite a bit since I've been back. I but, felt like uh, that too. Though, in fairness, I, I did as soon as. When I was going out before the lockdown, I felt quite young. And then when I was going back in, as you say, I was feeling like the old man in the club. I'd be, I'm 32, like, but I remember just walking in in some places. And honestly, you just feel like you're walking into a lot of kids. It's mad, like, how that all changed yeah. in those couple of years. But those couple of years are massive, I suppose, when you look back. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, like here in Sweden, they had, like, the most um, lenient of all the lockdowns. And looking back, have the best stats even though there are people out there who be like, no, they didn't, but uh, they did. But the thing is, um, like there was no landmark occasion that kind of punctuated the year. You know, usually you'd have big concerts coming through. You'd have um, midsummers. You know, you'd have various different events that would kind of landmark occasions throughout the year, which which were, they were absent of this for those years of, of the pandemic, and. Um, yeah, it just kind of feels like that two and a half years just blended into one long kind of strange year of uncertainty. And uh, like for me beforehand, like I was, I w- I'd started like I'd, I did, I got a part in Vikings that was like straight up drama. And uh, then I was, you know, starting to have another go at breaking into into film and TV. And then, you know, I was coming back and forth from Stockholm to Ireland to do gigs, and it was getting to be quite like I, as much as I enjoyed it, because I had one foot in Sweden, one foot in Ireland, and I kind of it felt like it was the best of both worlds. But at the same time, it was getting harder and harder to like look through the window and see those little faces like waving bye to me, and then when I go to Ireland, and I'd have to say bye to my family in Mayo and my mates in Dublin, and it was just kind of like I felt like when it came along, it was kind of a nice excuse not to be having to fly anywhere. And then I just got a bit too comfortable with not flying then. And so uh, I think it's time to get back on the horse and get out there and start doing the gigs. Because um, the gigs, I, I started doing my own show, the you know, as Martin Maloney as myself, 
and kind of talking about a lot of things that I was doing in life and growing up and just kind of observational things. And uh, it was really starting to, to gain traction. So I've kind of, I feel like I've got to kind of start again, but it's the fucking hassle. You know, I, I was also on top of that then, I, a divorce as well, which is, um, it's one of those things that it's like a cliche of like, ah, the divorce was tough. Anybody who goes through a divorce, like it's kind of like when you look at someone who goes into a boxing ring, it's like, he was fucking shite, man. I was like, well, have you gone into a boxing ring and had a fight? It's, it's like, it's all well and good looking at what someone's doing from the outside. But if you're actually going through that process yourself of like decoupling a, a life that you formerly had and then rebuilding, uh, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. And on top of that, then you can't even have the luxury of just like fucking off and doing gigs and get paid to kind of like get away from that. But I do feel like there's been a hell of a lot of personal growth. I think the the guy I was before and the guy I am now are two different people. You know, I, I've come out with the other end of the shit pipe, so to speak. I think uh, a lot of people uh, would be in the same boat, though. I definitely feel like uh, I learned a lot, again, a lot about myself and stuff like that. Even even just, like, it might sound odd, but, like, just even dieting and stuff like that. Like, I've just completely changed mm. my diet. Um, I was able to go back and play football because I was carrying a bit of timber. Now, I wasn't huge or anything like that, but the injuries were just gathering up. It was heavy on my stomach. It was leading to my knees. It was stopping me from playing. So on and so forth. But then I, my brother's a personal trainer, and uh, he had me in dieting off the drink. I was off the drink for about nine months for the first time, probably since I was 16. 17. <laughs> uh, 17. Um, in and around that, but yeah. Uh, so it was like that where... You did. You, 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 I think a lot of people found themselves, and despite it being a um, not a great financial period, disaster. <laughs> well, there's that, but it was it wasn't a great period for anybody in terms of socializing or anything like that. But I think if people were to look back and, as you say, there and measure the person that they were before to where they are now, um, a lot of people probably would be happier in kind of themselves that they had to kind of go there to find themselves. If that makes any sense. Well, I mean, a lot of people had to spend time alone, and um, it was a real like even working from home. And I suppose there was probably a lot of time, spare time, to kind of soul search and just kind of re readjust what, what readjust where you're where you want to go. Like, I mean, a lot of people must have okay, I'm going to write an album. I, I didn't do any of that because I was like, well, what's the fucking point, man? I don't know when I'm going to be able to showcase this. And um, I quite enjoyed just fucking chilling and, and taking it easy. And yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like for me, I kind of, I had that taste of, you know, I, I look at a lot of people here in Sweden. Sweden's probably, or Stockholm is one of the most high pressure cities to live in, in, in Europe, I'd say. It's like, it's kind of like a mini New York. And How, kind of, in you, what you, way do, do you mean that? Well, it's just like it just seem, seems like everybody is constantly on the ha- they're like it's like they're stuck on a hamster wheel, you know. It's um, what I don't like about Sweden is everything comes out monthly, so like all your bills, your your you know, they, everything comes out once. So you need a good lump sum of about two thousand quid plus at the end of every month, and if you're out of work for a month and you miss that, you're like a full. That's a huge wedge. So then, then you start a new job, and you wait the following month to get paid for the first month. And it's when you re- when you like change jobs, you, you then get the month. Well, it's great if you've gone from one to another, but if you're kind of freelance and you're going from one thing to another, it's uh, it, there's a lot of, lot of stress in that regard. And you know, there's there's a 
much like Dublin, there's a huge demand for property. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who are charging like four or five times. So they're subletting. So what you have over here is you have like the first hand contract and the second hand contract. So your first hand contract, when you're in, you're kind of like, you're, your feet are well under the table. You have more rights as a tenant. But the, but the second hand contract is a sub subletting. And then you have people who are like third hand contracts. So you have someone who's subletting from someone who's got a first hand contract, but then they're renting out their um, second hand contract to someone else. So uh, it's a it's a very unregulated market, and so this, like over here in Sweden, they're massive with when it comes to uh, you know chasing down people with tax. is a huge, well regulated, much like the revenue in Ireland. Uh, is a, it's a very well oiled machine, and I can't understand how so many people are getting away with getting you know an extra. 1,000, 1,500 plus per month for renting out a place they should be paying maybe like 500, 600 a month for. But property here is very expensive. And um, there's this kind of feeling where like there's someone ready to come in after you immediately. Whereas if you're like living in a more rural place where there was an, an abundance of places to stay, probably a bit more chilled, but um, you wouldn't be able to get green curry at two in the morning. So, uh, you know... <laughs> sliding scale yeah i think i think the world's just gone like that at the moment to be honest with you and obviously uh, ireland's like that at the moment and you know the homelessness is just going up and up and up and up the, the, home, the homeless situation in ireland is, is a fucking disgrace man it, it really is it's like uh you know like I, I i'm one of these kind of people who i just can't keep my mouth shut and i will say what i see and sometimes what i see may be wrong but um you know ireland is just a nation that is be held into you know tax dodging multinational companies ngos and the world economic forum and you know it's like every other country sweden is england is you know it's like netherlands in netherlands now they're taking three thousand farms the netherlands is the breadbasket of europe uh most of our fresh produce and meats come from um and dairy products come from netherlands and apparently they're, the the government going, oh no, the methane levels are too high, so we've got to like buy all your all your farms. And I kind of feel like the the working people and, and let's say the poor and the middle class, they're the ones who've constantly been propping up the uh, the people at the top, and we're just getting fucking skimmed all the time. But yet, you know. This is where like mainstream media has failed us because you know I think a lot of people have been bought out and they're I think that there's not many people who are coming and just giving honest asking honest questions and looking for honest answers and anybody that tries to kind of lift the veil will find themselves you know being um, let's say cancelled or or kind of I don't know it, it just feels like where the where the fuck are all the uh the, the the people with journalistic integrity that are just going like speaking truth to power you know like we just have you know conflict after conflict globally and the only people who seem to be enriched by this are the weapons manufacturers and uh it's it's a very cynical world a very and i'm sure it's always been like this since the dawn of time because the the desires of mankind seldom change, you know, and you unfortunately do get the people who reach the top of society that will do anything to get there. And, and they kind of, they look at their masses with a kind of a lens of disdain. So that's my take on it anyway, Paul. 
Yeah, well, I think it's you know it's the same. It's a bit out of my um, it's it's way above what I'd be talking about anyway. I I don't have any kind of say on that other than the fact that the, these likes of Putin and so on who are doing terrible things in the world and stuff like that, and still people are not highlighting it as much. You know, saying Russia and stuff like that, they're just turning a blind eye to it and stuff like that. But it's, it it wouldn't be well. I, I another thing regarding that this is an unpopular opinion. Um, it the, the whole thing in Russia is is Western backed. And there was uh, the project for New American Century uh, outlined that they wanted to take down Libya, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, Syria, most uh, Iran, all these uh, Middle Eastern countries. And then uh, Russia was also next because apparently Russia wanted to join NATO. Uh, I can't remember what year this was, but they were told no because they. The thing is, it's basically you keep like it like. Military hardware, weapons manufacturers. That's that's what keeps. It's called the the uh, President Eisenhower warned about it before he left. It was basically called the uh, the military industrialization complex, and it gets to the point where these corporations are so powerful and so wealthy, they just pay journalists to not to ask the right questions. And um, yeah, the uh, the invasion of Ukraine was it's a fucking failure of civilization. It should never have happened. But at the same time, the uh, the Western-backed coup of 2004 was created by uh, Toria Newland, who I think she's the Secretary of State, and she was also involved in the Iraq War as well. These people, like John Bolton, they'll do anything for money and clout. And if that means like people are going, like there are civilians that are going to be killed in the process, they don't. They literally just. I, I don't, they can sleep easy at night. They don't care. Like I don't think there's any there's any conscience. They, I'm sure they have their own ways of rationalizing it in their head. If it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. You know, and it's a pure business. And uh, unfortunately, this is this is it's a cynical world we live in, and people are profiting off of this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I think it's the same. Fucked a lot of them, Paul. Fucked a lot of them is right. Um, but I think uh, if if you look at sports, it's the same. Like boxing is like that. You know when. And Tyson Fury was fighting there recently and Daniel Kinahan t- thing came up and he was refused to ask questions and anyone who asked questions was banned. So it's that type of thing kind of surrounding all of that as well. But I just want to take you back to uh, uh, the show. Money talks, bullshit walks, and that's how it is. Well, if yeah. you've got the money and you're above the law, you can you can command what people can ask of you. That seems you can pay to be... someone to make problems go away. That seems to be the and way that's... of the world, unfortunately. Yeah. How do you make those spondoolies, Paul? That's the question. I want to know. Say that again. How do you make those spondoolies? I, I don't get it. Say that again. H- how do we get that kind of money? Oh, I don't know. Um, RTE might sort us out maybe after, after the back of this. They might put us on a hedge fund course. Yeah. Get a job for BlackRock. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mad wolf. <laughs> come here, though. Uh, just, just going back to Hardy Brooks, obviously... Um, we went a little bit off track with that. Just trying to go back to where we were. We're Oh, we did indeed. Where, where? Um, I suppose we we went into how the idea uh, came about and how it got kind of legs off the back of going around in the car and stuff like that. But when when did you really start to feel like um the screw was turning with it and you getting recognised and stuff like that? And then I suppose the success and, and and taking off then and going into the movie and stuff like that. Well. When when we filmed it, like we we had a good feeling of when we were actually filming the 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 third attempt that we did, 
and you know it, it looked really professional the, the 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 crew that came down had like all of the the eagerness of somebody that wanted to be part of a project that took them further and and us guys as like writers and performers uh it was just a very it was a it was a magical time and we knew once we seen the rough cut that it was it was going this was going to be something that was going to take off and then it kind of, we didn't do anything with it for a year and then when it was released i just started like you know sending a link sending it to everyone in my facebook and then that kind of like helped to take off and then before we knew it then uh, fergal darcy and peter ganley were onto it and they were bringing us on like their drive time afternoon radio show to talk about it. But then it started like really gaining traction between like Halloween 2008 to like January. And then when the Storyland started in 2009, then we did that. And then it was like at the end of that, in between we, we did the first series and the YouTube stuff. I remember we went and did a gig in the stables in Limerick IT and uh, or the University of Limerick. And just like your man, uh, uh, Pork O'Brien, who was the the events officer, he was like, oh, man, they're going mad in there for you. And I was like, for us? And then as we were walking down this kind of corridor into the main bar and we pulled the double doors back, there was just layers of, like, people. Like, the whole doorway was blocked with people who wanted to come and just fucking see us and see what we were about. And... Uh, yeah, then then it was like TV did two series Christmas special, and then the recession hit RTE, and the RTE just didn't have anything to make a, a third series with at the time. So we did a compromise deal. We were like, okay, it's the Euros is on. We can we had contacts in Universal, so we basically did a collaboration with Universal and RTE on a micro budget. But so the plan was, we were going to make this film with as little as possible in terms of budget, uh, a micro budget basically. Um, then go to number one in the box office, which we did in order to give us a heftier price the second time around. But unfortunately, that didn't happen because I ended up getting arrested for self-defense at a uh, gig I did in the big tree. And that kind of put the mockers and things with the investors. And But to be honest with you, you know, this looking back, it was probably one of those things that was sucked at the time. But um, the the time permutations of that event for better or worse have made me older and wiser and um you know something worse could have happened do you know what i mean like someone like some of the some of the sessions we were on were, were like fucking wild and like someone could have ended up getting killed so um it was better that that happened and then i have a son as well so he was unexpected and uh, looking back, if it was like, oh, do you want to do a second film or have the son I have? I'm like, son all the way, man. And uh, yeah, you know, like I I, um, I was the first one out of us all to kind of have kids. And uh, I'm still to this day, it's just like me and Tom, who plays Tommy Boo, who basically, he's got three. So he's doing well. He's beat me in the, in the child wearing stakes. But uh, we'll see what happens. Might have a few more. We don't know. We'll see. But um, yeah, having kids, man, that's that's one of the best things I ever did because, you know, you're thrown into this new realm of responsibility. And in the beginning, it's like there's lots of nappies and screaming and, you know, sleepless nights and whatnot. But then a few years pass and then, you know, you can start having a laugh with your kids when they get older. And 
it's one of the nicest things you can do and it teaches a lot about yourself as a, as a adult and, and it also reminds you of the innocence of childhood and reminds you of like how you felt at certain times in your own childhood and uh, I think it also kind of keeps you young in terms of like like I've learned so much about the Marvel universe because my son is big into Marvel like I know a lot about like Japanese animation because my daughter likes that kind of stuff and I just think it's a uh, it's a nice way of you to kind of stay on the pulse with what the next generation kind of find interesting. And uh, to, to quote my friend Reese, it's pretty sweet. I think it's a good way of actually, uh, you're saying they're kind of just how the next generation, but even how they're thinking. So if you do decide to go back into doing anything, you kind of have an idea is that if you, even if it needs to kind of tap into maybe a, a younger audience, you kind of know what, what's happening as well in that kind of set regard, mm. if you get me. Yeah, it would do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just think it's, I think it's what we're, we're here for. You know, it's like, it's the, it's like a relay race and you're carrying that torch of, of life. And, uh, you know, you want to try and raise children who will, you know, leave the world in a, in a better place than they found it, you know, and make an Im make a positive impact on the world. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I, I think, you know, you look at Ireland, it was like, your average family was about six kids per family. And now it's like maybe 1.5. And I think a lot of it is down to this, like this progressive um, neo liberal capitalist society that we live in, where basically our main job is just to keep the GDP ticking over. And, you know, people talk about Ireland as like, oh, the GDP is fucking unreal, man. Oh, the GDP. But then it's not, you know, it's it's not tra it's not like um, not registering at the lower levels, you know, like the GDP is basically all of these companies that are operating out of Ireland, and they're based in Ireland uh, because of the lower corporation rate on tax. So like on paper it looks fantastic, but like, you know, you look at some of the roads, the roads of Leitrim, for example, you, you kind of think like why aren't they a bit better? You know, why, why is it like they're closing like, uh, ENR departments in hospitals in rural areas, you know, and this, like, it's, you know, at this, at this time in, uh, in our existence with the technology we have, there's no reason why, um, that, that money shouldn't be, uh, trickling down to, to the lower levels. But, um, I don't know, it's just the way it is, but, um, I don't know how we got onto this, Paul. Fucking don't know how we got onto that thread, but it's just the way she fucking cookie crumbles. Yeah. Um. Well, I suppose just just on the Hardy books itself. I mean, in my opinion, there's kind of similarities in a weird way to Father Ted. I would say just because it was kind of that the rawness where you were probably going places that other people were afraid to go to. But even with the characters you have, they're they're all so funny in their own way. Um, how how did you just get on? We all, all we, I know there's probably days where you were fighting that would happen naturally between oh yeah people always together. But I just mean, you know, you just must have had great crack film in it though because it's just so funny. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic fun. You know, it's like you're, you're hanging out with some of the funniest people. Like we we were all funny dudes before. Like me and Chris were always the ones who were interested in in film and comedy but like the likes of owen cat peter cassidy and stephen kelly and it was just all of these lads that we knew growing up and we were like oh he'd be brilliant for this character 
and not one of them turned up and and didn't you know just knock it out of the park you know everybody we asked there were, like there was there wasn't like i think maybe there's like one or two that were and this is the entire and the entire cast the whole way through that you would have been like oh the acting was a bit shit there and sometimes if the acting was shit it was funny because like we like in the beginning we brought salmon in because like the way he delivered his lines was just fucking brilliant. I mean, he was like Keith from The Office. Yeah, he's so deadpan, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, it was just, everything worked, you know? And it's, um, and I and I think like, now, like we, we started at a time, like it was great fun on the set. People, and then when people come in from far and wide just to like be an, as an extra, and we, you know, like, hey, say something, you know? And it was, it was never, the, 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 there, was, there was nothing that we couldn't do. You know, like if you look at like conventional television and film in Ireland, how it works, it's very exclusive. It's like, no, no, we're special boys. You can't be in this pro. No, no, you need an agent and you have to get the top agent. And no, no, I don't like that. We were just like, nah, everyone is welcome. If you can't get the start somewhere else, hop in here. We'll we'll give you your five minutes. You know, like hop in. You know, like we were always like very uh, open, open and and uh, indiscriminate like and and everything always turned out to be absolute gold and you know at the time when you're doing it you're kind of looking at, and you're always comparing yourself you're always comparing what you're putting out to your previous successes but then you know there was a lot a lot of people were saying oh the youtube stuff was great man but you know the you know the the, the tv's good the youtube youtube stuff was better and at the time i was like i, I couldn't understand why people would think that i mean obviously there were certain things in the youtube days that it was carte blanche because there was no executive producers sitting over our shoulders telling us what we can and can't say but if you look back at the tv stuff like in in terms of like we we pushed it as far as we were allowed to push it and um we we behind the scenes we fought tooth and nail you know to, and there were certain points where we'd have uh, production meetings and I'd nearly be in tears of frustration uh, trying to justify scenes that were left in. And uh, you look back now and you're kind of thinking it's it's even funnier now than it was that than than it was then. And the more and the thing is the more times you watch it, the more things you pick up on as well. So when people watched it for the first time, they were like, oh, I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that, man. But then, you know, they've watched it about fucking ten times now and they're like, Oh, I love it, man. It's fucking great. So, uh, this, this, the, I really need to go for a quick piss break, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead, man. It's no problem. Yeah, right. yeah. That's what... what are we going to say? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times that's happened to me when I've been like doing a podcast or something, and uh, or like a title, and I realized that I've just done everything perfectly and then stumbled at the name of the video. Even at the start, this is actually episode ten, and I just called it episode nine. So I was off to a fucking yeah, flyer. Yeah, that that <laughs> I, yeah that that uh, that has happened to me many times, and I'm like, right, I've actually got to go and sit and number all these. I know if you've heard the uh, the Hardy book at all that I wrote on, it was on the Hardy Books podcast, and the idea of the Hardy Books podcast was for me and Owen and Tom and Pete and the boys to kind of like just recant funny stories from, you know. The, the days of pre Hardy books and and during that you know just is this but, uh, a, a podcast sorry uh, Martin is this a podcast yeah. or a, a book 
a podcast. Oh, sorry. So then I was like, I started writing, I think I've got about eight parts of the Hardy book and there's another part that I've been writing, but uh, I need to just finish. Um, But the thing is for me, I kind of get, I get stuck. So if I haven't finished one thing, I find it very difficult. Just like hop. It's almost like it's left open. And then, yeah, so it's nearly done. I've just got to listen to it. Uh, But also a lot of that is just the, like I was saying, because I'm working off a laptop and the, the laptop goes away afterwards. Whereas I just need to get myself a office space where it's like I sit down, everything is queued up, ready to go. The mics haven't been moved. The lights haven't been moved. Everything is just like, you know, I just, I know I've been working. I've been supposed to do that for quite a while. Yeah. You can just go in, but, uh, sit down and get cracking. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a lot easier. You just log in, work away and then head off. But, um, try making excuses, Paul. But, um, no, but that, like for me, I, everything like has to be, you know, set up because I, it's just the it's the fiddling with things that annoys me. You know, if I like if I had a, a recording studio and everything was just okay, there's a drum kit, there's a bass, guitar, it's my everything's mic'd up, sit in, plug and play. I'd love that. You know what I mean? But um, I'm like you. That was <laughs> in that sense because. If I, I'm like that when I when I when I make a food. If I go in and I see the pots and everything are all just a big mess, I'm like, oh, take away. I'm not I'm not as cleaning that, and I won't go in there. But if it's clean, I go in and I make a big huge dinner. No I work away, man. Yeah. And then the dishes will be put away. like for me, like, um, I you know I, I've worked as a chef and um, and I I love cooking, but then sometimes the times I hate cooking is when you've no idea of what you're gonna cook. You have no ballpark figure before entering the kitchen. And you're like, okay, we've got some chicken breasts, some pasta, there's half a tub of creme fraiche, some peppers, some onions, some mushrooms. And then you're like, all right, yeah, I'll just put them all together. And then you always come up with something, but it's just basically, it's like, it's the making, it's the end product. And then you're looking at stuff and it's like, I wish I'd thought of this when I was passing the shops and it could have just like, yeah. So I'm the same way. Um, and, you know, that was when I when I was living with the, uh, the ex-wife and that made it even diff- more more annoying because she couldn't eat garlic or onions. So you'd have to use like chives. And then it'd be like, you'd have to make dinner. You know, like, it was my job to make the dinner. And I was like, oh, this is fucking tedious, man. And then like having to wash the dishes afterwards. I was like, there's no fucking one to be broke up, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing for anyone who's uh, going through a relationship, get a dishwasher. You know, just fill it up. I remember my mother was saying, ah, dishwashers for lazy people. And then when we got a dish, I was like, yeah, she's right, yeah. But then I was like, sometimes I'd spend an hour just fucking washing dishes. And I'm like, you know, they'd be left there for me. And I'm like, someone's got to do them. And then you'd do all the dishes. And then you'd be like, then you got a dishwasher. It's just like, just stick them all in. And then they're, you know, they're pretty much dry. Just, you know, drying them. You know, if, if ever when you were a kid and you'd have to do like the, the, the washing up, it was like, oh, I'll do the drying and putting away. That was always like the, the soft bit. But it was the cleaning that, that just, yeah, well, usually if wet. you had siblings, one would do the other, so one would wash, one would dry. Yeah, and it was always like, no, I want to dry and put away. And then you'd have, like, the Christmas dinner then. That was just another, like, without a dishwash, it was like. But then sometimes I'd be like, you know, I'll I'll dry, I'll, I'll, I'll wash the dishes. So, like, you'd do the dishes after, and then you'd go for a kip. You'd be left alone then. You'd go and have a little kip for yourself, watch some shite on the phone, and then you'd be like, I'll oh, leave him be. You did a great job with the dishes. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a golden the, star moment. Ch- yeah, exactly. So uh, sometimes, sometimes I come to the rescue and just be like, "All right, I'll do that." But if I see someone else doing it before me, I won't be like, "Oh, yeah, fair play." 
<laughs> yeah, don't be jumping the queue. Um, come here, come, exactly. Can I bring you back to just on the show with the Hardy books? It's um one thing I, I wanted to ask you. Obviously, I'm a huge Ireland fan, and, and I I do a big thing on, on Irish football and stuff like that. What was this? Stephen Ireland. I actually had him on the channel. Um, but Good what luck. what was the what was the whole meaning of the Ireland jerseys? Um, the like the the ancient ones, the best ones that everybody wants nowadays. Well, the funny of the Ireland jersey, I got that when I was 13 from uh, Greenies department store and they were doing half price Umbro gear because there were seconds. So like I still got that jersey, but you can see the the label's been cut in half. So uh your man had managed to get a whole load of seconds and everyone in town was like, so I got an, in, an Inter Milan one and uh, an Ireland jersey, but I just thought it'd be cool just to wear my old my old Ireland jersey. I still have it like Jason McAteer gives it his all. Vidal Sassoon. You know, it was like 1996 time. Now, I heard a funny story about Jason McAteer, actually, where um, they were in Spain himself, and the, I don't know who else, Razor Ruddock and a few other lads. They're all, you know, Robbie Fowler. They're all going out for a few drinks. And uh, he came down with a bag of ice for the drinks. And they were like, your man Ruddock was like, oh, Jason, they're going to be melted by the time we get there. And he goes, hold on a second, lads. And he goes up and gets another bag of ice. Put the ice into. Yeah, apparently he's absolutely brain dead. But um, I thought you were going to say the one about the pizza. There's, a, there's one about pizza slices or something. Cut up pizza slices and he just made a, a mockery of it. I think it's on Twitter. If I find it, I'll send it to you because I can't think of it right now. Oh, what? Jason Mack is here? Yeah, he, done, he's, he apparently said something really stupid. Um, and that's why. I'd he, like to see that. That's why he's called Triggs. <laughs> just because he's real stupid, apparently. But it, 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 but you know what? It was it was fucking great to have him on the Irish team. Like the like the I often I I maintain that you know and like if if and I'm not putting all this on Roy Keane because he had his reasons for walking out at time in Korea. But I was like, if he just fucking waited till after the match to say his piece, I think Ireland would have bet Spain because Spain went on then to be like European champions and World Cup champions for like a decade. I think that was probably Ireland's closest time to winning the World Cup because it's kind of like I think if they if they would have had that momentum behind them and to go to penalties against Spain, but I just I I I feel a forlorn sense of like frustration with and this is nothing against the Ireland players. Uh, obviously, fucking Delaney could have been a bit of a you know could have handled things better, but I won't go talking about that. But I just, I just think like, you know, the the Irish rugby team now are a world class rugby team, and if you look back to like nineties Irish football, like they were dangerous, man. You know, they were they were great for the long ball, and then they were great attacking side. Whereas something happened in the last, let's say, 12, 15 years where they became a very defensive side. That didn't yeah, take Trapatoni chances when they had them. Onwards, Trapatoni onwards. I felt. Yeah, Trapatoni onwards definitely. Um, and I, I just feel like you know, if just fucking go for it, you know, the, the best form of defense is attack. And if you and uh, like, I think they should their whole their whole strategy should just be about relentless attacking and just shots on goal nonstop. And it look if you, you if you if you're going to concede and, and you're playing a defensive strategy anyway, you're going to concede anyway. But just fucking relentlessly long ball keep keep um shots on goal i mean it's easier said than done because you know it's 
But uh, I just think I think that approach just to be a more of a, an offensive team and, and just take chances. I think the manager's Whereas, trying to do that now, though. In Stephen Kenny, it's just well, unfortunately yeah, we're just not it. as good as we used to be, and we we just tend to give up a lot of goals rather than um, you know when we go a goal up instead of just kind of then be defensive. If you get me, yeah. And, and the thing is, you're, you're only a goal up. It was like when I was watching um, watching Australia playing Argentina, and what was it Argentina? Maybe no, Denmark. No, that was that was in the semis. No, it was uh, it was in the beginning of the World Cup. It was Argentina. Denmark was, was it? Australia and France, and um, the Australia went up one nil, and then afterwards it was just kind of like, but it was almost like if you got one, it's like fucking keep going, man. It's like playing a game of Call of Duty where you get a kill streak. It's like keep going to the, the fucking attack helicopter, but like it's just like when you got that momentum behind you, just don't go into like oh. Because you're gonna you're gonna end up conceding. It's just if you get one, fucking go try and get another one straight away, and and uh, you know demoralize the other team by just constantly attacking. And yeah, of course, there's gonna be um, teams that are excellent at counter attacking, but like just you know have have a, a strategy in the back, which is you know keep your keep your 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 back three close enough. I don't know, maybe. I mean, look at the end of the day, I'm. I'm I'm, I'm speculating against or about football tactics here, but from my days of playing FIFA, it was always like keep your back three solid, and um, yeah, don't know. Fuck it, I might be out my element here, but uh, it, it seems to make more sense. Always have a strong defense, strong attack and attack inside at the front, and. Um, I think that's where Your we midfield. lack though. It's, it's that our midfield and attack probably isn't as good, and our defense is quite good. So in terms of our best players actually playing defense, but can't seem to score goals. And then you have the likes of John Egan and Shane Duffy who are the ones scoring the goals from the old way of playing, which is set pieces, corners, free kicks into the box, mm. header, and that just seems to be the way we're playing at the moment. I suppose, but that kind of takes me into what was, um, you know, you did the movie there in in Poland. And you were mixed in with the fans and everything like that. What was that like? Because the football was dire at that Euros. Yeah, we actually went, myself and Pete, we went to watch um, Ireland and Italy. And we were just like, just score. Even if you score a goal, we'll be happy. You know, we knew we were out, but it was like, just score a goal so we can at least celebrate the goal. Um, that was fantastic fun, to be honest with you. Like, I, I met lads from home. I met lads from, who I knew in Dublin, from Galway. And then just people we hadn't met before. But it was just a fantastic, fantastic bit of fun was had, and um, credit where it's due to the Irish fans, man. They're like, I don't think you can meet a, a sounder bunch of people, and uh, like that was that was, it was just like I was burning the candle at both ends there because I'd be like out all night with the Ireland fans, and then having to do like a twelve-hour day, and I'd be like, all right, tonight I'm definitely going to go to bed early, and then I'd just be like, oh fuck, Jono's in town, man. All right, Jono, man, I'll meet you in town. And then it'd be out till six in the morning, like two hours sleep, and then film another ten hour day. So uh, there was one I, I got. Sorry, I was going to say that. I, I think that's the life of 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 TV. I I've done a bit of work with uh, DIY SOS and stuff like that, and the, the, we all end up going out drinking, and then we're up really early the next day and stuff like that. And you always say, "Oh, I'm not gonna." And you go back to the hotel, you have a bit of food, and the next minute it's just like that. Second wind. It's like it's like Danny Dyer. Anytime you watch Danny Dyer, and it's like Britain's real football factories or deadliest men, or even better yet, 
um, Donald Dyer, and I believe in UFOs. And you can just see, like, he's talking to Sir Patrick Moore, uh, the games master, the astrologist. And he, you can just see he's got three beverages in front of him. He's got a coffee, a red wine, and a glass of water. And I recognize, I mean, because he needs the coffee as the pick-me-up. He needs the hydration of the water, but he also needs the calming effect of the red wine. So, <laughs> and that indicates to me that the night before he went to talk about aliens and astrology with Sir Patrick Moore, that he just had to go on the piss that night. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what we did. And we did it well. You know, look, looking back, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, you know, I had some fucking good times and some mad sessions and I'm not going to look back and be like, uh, I pushed a lot of time away there. I had a great time. And if you, if you have a look at, there's a, a an interview with the, the late great Oliver Reed, who was one of the original Hellraisers of uh, 60s and 70s British film. He came on to Michael Aspel's show in the late 80s. And Clive James, the man from Australia, he used to have the Clive James New Year's Eve specials back in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, he, he comes on with his with just a button-down shirt open with the collars up with a jug of vodka and orange. And he's singing to the house band. He's like, I was known as the wild one for miles around. And he just goes into this really bombastic performance. And then Clive James asks him a bit of a sneaky question. He goes, Oliver, yes, why do you drink? And I was, ooh. And then Oliver just fucking, he told them what he wants to hear, man. And this is, this is the, when someone's trying to get something, sometimes you're better off just going, yeah, you're dead right, man. Absolutely. But he goes like this, he says, well, I believe some of the finest people I have met in my life have been in pubs. So it was like, what can you say to that? He loves pubs. He loves, like, I mean, there's the uh, the Wimbledon circuit, they call it, which I think is like 18 pubs around Wimbledon tennis grounds where, you know, would-be raconteurs of heavy sessioning try to emulate the uh, circuit that himself, Peter O'Toole, Richard Harris, um, R- Richard Burton would have done in the 60s and 70s. And something else that really um, that really fucking made me laugh was I was talking to my dad on the phone there recently, and I was asking him about like uh, Oliver Reed. I was like, "Did you ever meet Oliver Reed when you were living in London?" He was like, "I did." And I was, "What? You met Oliver Reed? And what happened?" I was playing a couple of the the old songs like, on the guitar, like, and he came up and he said, "Sounds nice." And next thing, pint after pint was landed in front of me, and I was like, "You met Ollie Reed?" And I was like, "Like my dad's another fucking absolute." session hero and uh i asked me mum was like did my dad meet oliver reed and she got oh yeah he was very popular with the film stairs around west london i remember <laughs> so um another man who should have made it you know you're elfler he could have been the next yeah but that's why but the same thing with like big mick or eugene is is my dad's younger brother and funny enough my dad always he accidentally calls me eugene he's like, hey, eugene i've met him and um yeah, when like we we've when we did the stuff on like Bebo, we showing him that's been like, oh, we'd love you to be in it, and he's like, but we showed it to him, and he's like, ah yeah, mm. that's comedy, is it? Then like fast forward two years later, RTE uh, have some money to pay you to be in this Eugene. Oh, I'll be in that, yes, and you know what? I'd give the character a bit of a limp, and uh, 
and he just fucking played an absolute blinder. And, you know, that's another example of just, you can take people, most people, you can take them. And I think this is what rattled the cage of, of the establishment film and TV world of Ireland. It was like, they're letting the secrets out of the bag. Most people can act. If they're playing themselves in a situation, the majority of people can do it. There's no, there's no huge, you know, you, you'll get the likes of uh, Al Pacino, De Niro went Stanislavski method in film school in New York. It's just like, just tell someone this is what you've got to be feeling within this. Can you, can you, you know, react in that way and learn the lines? If you learn the lines and you know them confidently, it's that simple. And you'll get people like, you know, to get into my character, I, uh, I dressed up as a bellboy and worked in a hotel for two months in New York. And blaming on the bellboy too, you know, it was just one of those seminal moments in my career where I, I lost 40 pounds for the role. And I won the Oscar for that performance. And my next film is going to be The Janitor, where I worked in a school as a janitor. Just worked. I uh, stayed in the broom cupboard. I slept there at night for three years. And uh, you know, I, the janitor then went on to be nominated for one of the best films of 2024. So uh, yeah, it's basically learn your lines. Yeah, obviously, there's certain degrees of uh, what, what people are, are capable of doing. But like, if you're playing yourself, man, it's, it all depends on the the director and, and the vibe on set as well. Like when I was doing that bit in Vikings a couple of years ago. My character had to be torn apart between a, a tree. And when I got the script, I was like, oh, fuck. It's <laughs> like, how am I going to pull this off? And then when I went there on the day, all I could think of was like, hard lads from Swinford going, oh, lordy, pretending to be killed. Oh. But uh, it was just such a serious thing. And I was, you know, it's, it's like, I have to do this one way or another. And um, yeah. I mean the the acting game, man. It's 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 a business. You know, it's like you're, you're you're a commodity, and when you're on when you're hired for a job, you've got to you've got to be there, turn up, and do the job, and then um, you know then whatever's in the can is in the can. But uh, the the main thing I would say to any aspiring actors is learn your lines, because <laughs> we used to never do it for hardy books, man. We're like it's our fucking show, man. We'll make up the words. They're like, please just fucking do the lines. I remember our our director in the series two, like she was just one day she was really pissed off because none of us had learned the lines. And she was like, please guys, would you just learn the goddamn lines? And at the end of the day, like you're you're you know, and if I was in another production and it wasn't mine, I'd have the lines learned before it even turned up that day. But for some reason when it's your own, it's like, ah yeah, we'll turn up and but then you know, we knew based on what we did with the YouTube stuff, like just whatever comes out your mouth is often funnier than whatever's written on the page. And there's a lot of things that happen on the day that you're like, yeah, I'd live this part because it's going to be way funnier. Like, and, and, and my my um, point of reference for that style was uh, Scorsese's Raging Bull with, you know, uh, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro and Frank Vincent. Of, Go get your fucking shine box. Who then went on to play uh, Phil Leotardo in Sopranos. But, uh, yeah, they were, you know, it, it was like just you give them the beats of the story, just mention these key points and just improvise, use your own dialogue. And I think when someone is able to use their own dialogue, you you bring something unique to the 
production that comes from that individual's experience of if it's them playing a character, it's what they are imagining other people or you know, the drawing from I, I just think it's 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 a more fun way of doing it. But like if you're paid to write a script then you're you know you you've got to deliver the script. But I think what we were doing is we were kind of like being flexible. We would do we would get the take in the can and then afterwards we'd be like, okay, do it and do it in your own style and depending on what was better got used. But also I have to say when you are filming something from a script point of view and you hire an editor, the editor has the script and they usually edit off the script. But if you're going off script, it's quite difficult to get those cuts to match. So that's the other side of it as well. So uh, there's a bit of back, background chat there if you Paul and, and the podcast listeners. I suppose that's so. in, in, in your point of view, I, I can understand why it'd be easier for you to go off on your own kind of tangents on your own stuff. But obviously like something like Vikings, you just wouldn't be able to because, you know, it's a completely different idea by somebody else. Whereas obviously, as you said, you'd done stuff previously with YouTube. So you kind of knew what worked with the audience and you kind of had an idea of the audience. The funny thing is when I was looking at some of the main cast of Vikings, when I was alongside them, they were like the same way I was on the set. They were like, they've been there for so many years. They're like, I'm not saying that, you know, I was like, ah, that's a nice it's a nice place to be. My type of guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, that'd be nice now. Whereas I was like, oh, I'll learn every fucking INT on this. But it'd be nice nice to get back into, uh, I just need to get a new agent because I haven't heard my, my own agent in a year and a half. But um, like I said, I was kind of glad just to be here for a while and not have to not have to like go traveling. No, it kind of, I was just feel like there's so much going on. I just wanted to chill. But now... Now I'm uh, I'm quite I'm ready to go back and start. You've got the itch graft. back, have you? I do, yeah. And plus, it's such fucking handy money. Do you know what I mean? It's like a grand a day more. If you, it depends on how how big your how big your your part is and how big the production is. Like some people are probably getting about, you know. So so like if you're in a if you're in a drama and you're one of the top guys, you're probably getting fucking fifteen grand a day, man. You know, it's like it's very difficult to knock that kind of wedge if you're getting it. Yeah, 100%. What I would call that, Paul, is beautiful wedge. McGregor-style wedge, yeah. <laughs> um, I have to say, I really love McGregor's Twitter at about 2 o'clock on a Saturday night, man. That is like, like a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, your man, <laughs> the Swedish lad, what's his fucking name again? Osman, is it? Which? Uh... Osman. Usman's Nigerian. Kind of like, uh, yeah, your man, he, he's like, um, he, he's from... Is it Artem? Dagestan. Uh, uh, yeah, Art, no, no. No, he's uh, like, I, I was trying to say Jim is an all-stars. He's uh, Kamzat. Chimayev, yeah. Yeah. And uh, people, you know, there was like some talk, being like, come on, fight me. And McGregor was, I'll fight you, no problem, all this. And then... The 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 guy from Dethroned that was doing like McGregor merchandise back in the day, he was like, "Come on, Connor, man, just get into the pool, and you know, six months, just grind it out, and you get there." And he's like, "Hey, fatso," <laughs> the way he answered it was like, "Listen, fatty fat tits." He's <laughs> like the way he spoke to him, and uh, I just love it, man. I, I love the fact that you know, like a, a superstar. Probably nearly a billionaire c- can just jump on Twitter and just get stuck in with the average Joe. 
And uh, I think it's fucking hilarious, man. I, I think he really is like, um, obviously, like, people, there are a lot of people out there who, who are like, oh, McGregor is, uh, but I, I like the fact that he never lost that kind of, that, you know, crumbling vibe. Do you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. he'll, he'll just have it out with people in public. And he's like, oh, it's made me money. I don't, I don't fucking care about these wankers. And, and I think it's, I think like, yeah, like when he's, when he's out on a bit of a session and uh, he's getting into like spats with people at three in the morning on Twitter on a Saturday night, man, I think that's, it's the it's the golden era of of Twitter. I think it's hilarious. You know, he's doing them um, the Twitter voice notes. <laughs> he is. And he, yeah, so he's sending like Artem Lobov, the, his best mate. He was, and he, now he's suing him. <laughs> so he was the kickboxer lad. You know, the, uh, he was doing bare knuckle boxing with Paulie Malinaji. He was his Russian mate, the one that he flew mm. out to. Uh, to uh, try, yeah, when, try with the, the Dolly incident, yeah, that one, yeah. So he, yeah, yeah, he was sticking up for him. So basically, your man's suing him because he came up, he, he came up with the idea for the whiskey, and uh, so he, apparently he's taking him to court. And then McGregor came out with like a voice note, and he's like, "Oh, I'll see you tonight. I'll fight you for the money." Uh, sending lawyers, uh, sending me messages and all this, and um, it's deleted since, but he was saying, oh, I'll meet you down at SPG Concord at, at half 12 tonight and we'll fight for the money, yeah. Half 12? <laughs> yeah, so he turned up in an Ireland jersey, in the Opal jersey. with like Oh, with that thing on his, yeah. on his face. So that's where he was at the Concord waiting for him, apparently, but uh, he never showed up. And then he did one for Joe Rogan uh, the other day because Joe Rogan was saying that he's on steroids. And then I saw that, yeah. Joe, uh, he he done a voice now slagging Joe Rogan. He was like, "Oh, call the cops!" in a big American voice. Oh, man, he, he's like, I, I imagine being at that point where you've 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 made your yeah. fucking you're you're a self-made man, and uh, you can just say what you want. But I mean, like the brand of the whiskey. I mean, it's not it's not really like the. It's like, hey, why didn't you make a whiskey? Glad I thought about that now. Cheers. Like he, you know, I mean, it's like. It's like if someone, you know, said to me, oh, you should do um, a fucking fragrance line. And then I went and did it myself. And then some, and it was really popular. And someone was like, oh, I came up with that idea. It's like, well, why didn't you do your own one then? Yeah, well, I think um, with him, was, he actually went through a course and did loads of stuff and then basically got in oh. touch with, uh, he'd done a finance course or something like that. So he'd already studied it. He knew to go. Oh, right. So it, was prop- it wasn't just like... It wasn't just like, a, hey, why don't you do whiskey? I think it's yeah. so really well. It was actually, hey, I've, I've crunched the numbers here, done a business plan, uh, understand the rudimentary aspects of distilling, distilling whiskey and projections of what you're going to make. Yeah, pretty much he did he that, went, yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was actually, he, 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 he is a clip up on uh, TalkSport of how he, what he did, and, and then he put him in touch with some uh, some lad who would uh, distribute the, the whiskey. So he told him to do that instead of going through the vodka. But again, I don't know went more past that. Um, so he's not going to be listening to this anyway, so he can't be suing me over. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, I, 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 if he does hear this, I quite liked it when he said to the dethroned guy, listen, fat so fat tits, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, fat so fat tits. <laughs> oh, man, it's... Uh... Like, do you reckon is he gonna is he, like who's the next fight man? Like he's it'd be lovely to see him and Khabib having another rally. I think he'll go with Poirier. They were they were talking I, I, the other I, day. Yeah, there was a fair bit of beef there on Twitter I seen the other day. It was uh some first class beef. 
I'd love to see him fight Artem for, for just for the absolute uh, crack. Cool. Well, the fact that they used to be best mates is a story there, you know, as well as obviously um, it could be a winner takes all. Like Tommy Gunn and Rocky. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's, um, I think it would be that or, or he could fight someone maybe who is maybe on a bit of a downward spiral. It's Tony Ferguson or something might be a good fight for him now because I think they're kind of both on a bit of a downer. If one of them wins, it might spark something. I don't know. Mm. That would be a realistic be one, I think. But he, he thinks that he can fight for the title. So um, I think he's going to get battered if he goes up away to Usman and, and these sort of lads. To be fair, he, he's put on a fair bit of timber. Like he's, he's um, like he looks like a man who's, who's got a fair bit of beef on him. But the thing is, when the, when you go up and you're carrying that amount, there's a lot. That's a lot more muscle mass to be oxygenated. And um, but you know, I'd be fucking. Like, I, I'd be right behind him if he wants to go up. I'm not saying it makes fuck all difference what I think, but um, it'd be interesting. Um, himself and Usman would be a fucking great fight. I think there'd be a good build-up uh, behind it, but I think he'd get smashed up, in, in, if I'm being honest. Himself and um, Cam's, that'd be a good fight as well. I think he'd that'd smash be, uh, him up as well. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, what, what what are they waiting for? I mean, it's... um, What's what's the hold-up here with the fights like? I think he's it... coming back from injury, your man Cam's at. I think they're trying to figure out whether he's getting a title shot or not because he miss, missed weight off the last fight he was in against uh, Kevin Hall. He was meant to fight Nate Diaz. Um, again, this is just all off the top of my head that I can remember. But uh, and what's the crack with Nate Diaz now? Is he gone or is he is he? He seems be to be gone. Yeah, he seems to be gone. Um, I'd say he'll be back at some point, but he's probably going to box your man, uh, Jake Paul, and go from there. I would. That's going to go ahead. I would say so. Great man. I hope he batters uh, him. Oh, Jake Paul. No, I hope uh, Diaz batters uh, Jake Paul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny where the those lads just kind of came out and started. What was it the KSI? Yeah, KS. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm getting a bit old now, but I, like, I wouldn't mind doing a fucking boxing match against him. It'd be a nice little, be a nice little um, reason to get back into prime fitness. Yeah, maybe we could organise some sort of charity thing uh, and get you back over. And uh... fuck the charity deal. I would charity begins at home, man. I wouldn't mind a few fucking quid for myself. Then we can talk about charity. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, I want to fight you. Yeah, who? I want buzz. Yeah, he's he'd be handy enough, fucker. All right, out, out of them, like Pete, Pete Cass is also very handy, and um, Tom Cagallan, the boo, like his dad, I think, was uh, Golden Gloves, and he was always training himself. And like, if it was to be fair, it was those lads that got me into like training martial arts, and uh, like I was always I was always handy enough, knew a bit about boxing, but like it, it was like going to going to like. MMA and kickboxing and boxing and wrestling that kind of thing but uh, I've kind of lately I've just gone a bit lazy with it to be honest with you I'd like to get back into it but uh, when I was doing jiu-jitsu and, and grappling and I was always fucking getting injured man like not not concentrating you'd be doing warm-up exercise there was, there was one time I went in there and like like the, this big lad from Manchester who we were, we were like doing the warm-up like throwing each other and uh, I wasn't concentrating and I fucking landed and hyperextended my ankle so so every time I was dropping my daughter off to daycare, I'd have like a hyperextended arm or like shoulder be gone and knee be gone. They're like, what's happened now? <laughs> I'd be going in with some like, ugh. <laughs> so I think uh, the recovery time, and I, I did my shoulder in as well, doing like just doing kettlebell once and um, 
like my sister wanted me to go to the gym with her in Charlestown. It was like we had like 45 minutes to be there before it closed. So I didn't warm up when I was doing kettlebell and I uh, just like fucking stretched my rotator cuff. And that was like my arm was, when my shoulder was bad for like three months, four months afterwards. But uh, I'm a bit too old for that now, Paul. I'm too old. If I was if I was in my like early to mid twenties, I'd definitely I'd probably be in the ring, you know, doing a bit of scrapping. But it is definitely a marker for it. I see a lot of influencers these days in, yeah, doing it in the Red Cow in Dublin. Um, so there's been a few kind of fights, but um, I'm also one in particular. Uh, I think you know, Connor Ryan and and stuff like that. They were doing it, and then. You had Steve-O, Timothy, who did the wheelchair boxing. You probably saw that. Um, I didn't see the fight. How did it go? I think he battered, uh, what's his name, um, Paddy Barnes. Well, he was fighting well, Paddy Barnes the chair, in, in the wheelchair. In the, in the chair, he battered him. He didn't like put him on his back, if you get me. Okay, no, but you think Paddy Barnes would be uh, handy enough even sitting down? I think he had a bit of reach and he was able to clock him and sit back in the chair. And oh, right, yeah. That's a, that's what I was told. Anyway, I had Steve-O on the, on the podcast. I think he was episode two. Um, mm. But uh, he was telling me. And they had, like, Artem actually was on that. Uh, Artem Loboff and, and a few other boxers and stuff like that. And Al Foran and these types of guys were all kind of on the car. But it wasn't, like, actual boxing, like the thing that's going on, the red cow. But it's kind of all this, mm. this kind of new Instagram, TikTok type thing. Um the cool kids as they say the cool kids on fucking interwebs man <laughs> interwebs yeah um not, not quite bebo like back in your day oh they were the days man someone would give you a heart every day and you'd have oh i've got so many hearts i'm so loved i had I've bebo got a thousand hearts sorry when i first got on social media bebo was the, was the thing you had your other half and as you say the, the love heart thing and your uh what's yeah. it what they call the little box thing which is obviously where you had the flash box that's the one yeah that seems to be yeah. the See, I, I was, I, I, see, I went to, I went to states, man. I came back and I had, well, you're using Bebo. I'm using MySpace, and um, yeah. So I mean, everyone was, everyone was just like on Bebo in Ireland. It was, it was a bit kind of like, what the fuck's going on here, man? But I better use it anyway. And fair play to Bebo is what kind of launched the early Hardy Book stuff. Um, and if you, you can hear it on my uh, on the Hardy Books podcast, there, Peter Ganley. If you want to hear more about the the genesis of those days of Bebo, he, um, he discusses it from his point of view about when he first saw it. And he was just like, you know, it was just like me and Salmon. And and, and it's, it's probably up there on YouTube, like the very early days of, of those Bebo episodes, because it was like the characters were like super ignorant. And um, yeah, it was, what was it? Like? I was in a fight there. There was two Polish men. He looks behind. Two big Polish men. Yeah, so like we didn't even know what we were doing, but we were just kind of like making up as we went along. It was very, it was very funny. And uh, there was a hell of a lot of bad language in it. Oh, a lot. Of a lot of bad language. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with that. Oh, um, I think that's what yeah. makes it, though, because it's, it's it's very much off the cuff. Um, I am wary. I have had you on uh, an hour and a half there, I see. So I just kind of want to... It's 20 past 12 here on a school night, Paul. But uh, please continue on. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm, I'm a bit worried. Joe Neal's after you. <laughs> I know you're you'll be up early with the kids plan. in the morning. Um oh, yeah. I actually think oh, my name I think my name is based off the O'Neill clan. Um my last yeah. name. I think so. But anyway, um story for a different day. Right I, the doves. Flight the Earls. <laughs> well, I think my family uh, originated from Tip, would you believe? Um but my 
my close family, I suppose, are all all Dublin from my granda uh, and nan on both sides to my parents. So there you go. As far uh, as I know, I'm three three quarters Mayo and uh, the other my grandmother on my mother's side is some Limerick. So I'm like a quarter Limerick, three quarters uh, Mayo. So and the same. rest of it's fucking Mayo all the way back. Um, all the way back to Hellas, Connacht. Well, fair play. You've got the the Irish roots there. Um, so to speak, I suppose just to, the the last bits. I, I suppose was um, is there going to be another Hard, Hardy Books uh, series or anything like that? You know, you've spoken about maybe getting back we'll, in. We'll, there. we'll see. Yeah, we'll see about that. I don't know what the story is. Um, you know, maybe someone. I I think if there is, it's going to come from the younger generation who who will probably get into a pivotal position within RTA and be like, oh, we'd love to you know make another series or I don't know what the story is at the moment because we all seem to be um not really not not for any reasons of um you know we've fallen out or anything but just you know life goes on and everyone's busy we haven't really i don't think we've all really met up together for a long time so um it's just logistically people are living in all different places and it's like herding cats trying to get everyone together you know some of us have kids um others are living in different parts of uh europe so it's, it's quite different to it's quite difficult to get everyone together but if I'm sure if someone came along with the old brown envelope and said, here, boys, do you want to do another series? Uh, we definitely do that. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, and be something I'd really love to do as well, just to get back in, get back in the saddle and crank out a series or two and then say, good night and good bless. Off we go into the mists of time. With a bit of luck, I'll, I'll clip that. And with a bit of luck, they'll come back and hopefully give you the brown envelope. Um, but just, yeah, John, just other than that, then, so you're, you're obviously that may happen down the pipeline. But what's, I suppose, from your point of view, what are you doing these days besides living in, in Sweden? Um, I know you've a podcast. I think you're streaming a bit as well because I was watching other podcasts where you were streaming. That was during the lockdown. I'm not so sure now. So, kind of, if people are looking to maybe get in contact with you or watch you or do any of that type of stuff, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Maloney101. Uh, a bit shy to read the messages. Or um, you can get me on Twitter at Eddie Durick, and that's probably the handiest way. Get me in the inbox. But um, I've, been, I've basically been playing a lot more music lately, and, and that's kind of like my I'll make my bread and butter over here is like uh, just doing live music. And um, I really want to get back into doing live live sh- comedy shows. And I just I was kind of thinking, all right, I'll let I'll just let I'll just chill for the end of the year, and then get back into it come January then start getting gigs booked in. So I think myself and Stephen Kelly are looking at doing a couple of gigs in the States in March and um, potentially Vancouver as well. So, um, you know, people, if people want me just fucking get in touch and um, we'll organize a gig anyway, but uh, I, I suppose it's probably, it'd probably be easier if I had a booking agent, but uh, you know, it's kind of like you can do, I could do it myself if I do it myself, but uh, I've just got to set a, a like a date and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have a new show out for this time. And then uh, knock it out the park, Paul. It'll be great crack. But uh, I've, I, yeah, I'll also have just got to get, get, get another agent and start acting again. So uh, I think I've had three years of it now, and I'm like, all right, I think the dust has settled over here. Just get back into it, start making things, and be more creative again. I think with the kind new... of fucking. Sorry, I thought you were. Hmm? Sometimes it lags, so I thought you were done. No worries. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like I kind of. I was I was happy with the break to be honest with you. I just kind of like you know, there's, there's like when you're in when you're in the uh, the fame game, 
So always, you know, you always got to like keep that inertia going. I've kind of just enjoyed being in obscurity for a bit. You know, it's, it's quite nice. And I was kind of happy enough just to have a bit of a break because I feel like I've kind of returned to who I was before it all happened. And I think it was a nice little, a nice bit of a reflection. And, you know, it's not all about, you know, chasing the the fame and whatnot. I, I kind of like, I'm at the stage where I'm like, when I when I was younger, like it's kind of like you, you know you watch TV and you're like, oh man, I'd like to be I'd like to be the center of attention. And the older you get, you're like, I don't really want to be the center of attention anymore. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to kind of like sit back and produce or, or write. But then I don't know. I do I do miss the uh, the aspects of filming. It's it's quite nice to do that. I think the last time the last thing I filmed was about four years ago. So it'd be nice to get back into it. But uh, it's just it's just the fucking the industry. I don't really like it's, you know having to do self tapes the whole time, and it's you've got to like drop everything to to do to learn dialogue and send it off, and then most of the time you don't even hear back. So it's kind of like, but when you're doing your own stuff, like when we're doing a series, it's like it's us doing it, so you're not kind of beholding to having to secure these parts, you know. So we'll see how it goes. I, th- I think. Um, I think that you know the, the pandemic in many ways it was kind of like you didn't know you could plan something and then it's like well is this going to go ahead or isn't it going to go ahead and I think um, I think touch wood things are going to resume as normal in 2023 so I think now it's time to start like planning and getting something going again yeah I think- whether that's Hardy books or something else we'll see. Yeah, well, I think in some ways you've got a good platform there already. So if you were to do something, you've got a, I wouldn't say a head start because you've obviously built up such a following that it, obviously it'd be easier now to get back into something than obviously if you were mm. to start now, if you get me. So I think um, from that point of view, you 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 probably just need maybe a couple of days to sit down and write down some stuff and, and kind of figure out what would be good for you and how you can plan it for maybe the new year. I, I suppose it's coming up at a good time, the new year, so you can kind of go, right, mm. well, I just want to get myself in order for the new year because it always seems to be that, I'm not saying you're one of these people, new year, new me type thing, but there is a lot of that and sometimes it kind of gives you well, a little bit of self-reflection just to write stuff down. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a new start then. I think Goals usually stuff, yeah. the December across the board, it's when the handbrake is off. It's Christmas staff parties. It's like, ah, I should fucking wait till next year. And I think for me, I, I always like to enjoy December as a kind of a reflection over the year and then go flat out into it when the kids go back to school in January. And I think, um, I think that's, I, I'm just going to enjoy the rest of the, the year and just take it easy and just focus on the kids really. Because that, that's the thing I, I just, I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of it has been, it's quite difficult to get away, you know, when you're when you're kind of when you're split. You know, I don't have any I don't have any family over here, and that's that's been quite a restrictive part of it. Is like, if I was living in Ireland, I'd be like, look after the kids there for the week, bring you some money, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's it's difficult to just take everyone else's schedule into it, and and again, I don't want to I don't want to like up or like um, you know, if, if I'm going away and doing gigs, it needs to be long long in advance because previously it would be like someone would ring me up and like oh we want you to do this event i was like when wednesday and i'm like wednesday it's fucking monday man you know and then you're like last minute looking through flights and then the flights are like fucking 700 quid and then 
there was a lot of that kind of stuff and uh you know nowadays i'm not i'm not in a position to just like take off like that i, I have to make sure that people are um people know what my plans are in advance because i tell you you get no fucking quarter paul you get no quarter at all i think that's so, um, with, yeah. with having kids and stuff like that you, you obviously have to prioritize that as you, you said earlier on like it's not a case of you know you can just do what you want when you didn't have kids you, you probably have to put them ahead of everything and as well you're not really thinking of just yourself anymore you have to you have to put them ahead of yeah, everything you know that's very true you know and, that, and that's it you know you do have to take the kids into consideration first and uh and that's what i've been doing and um you know and, and that reflects the relationship i have with the kids like the um the worship the ground to walk on and like likewise with me and them and like they've they're like my best mates you know i have i've great fun with them and um later on in life you know they'll look back and they'll they'll be like fair play to you you know you stuck around and you know you're always there for us and you know that's I, I i always like feel like i want to be the dad that i would you know obviously not saying nothing wrong with my own dad like but i'm just saying like f- uh for them i'm like all right i i'd like to be the dad that they want me to be you know and and uh, i'd like to say i'm doing a pretty good job of that well, it seemed like it earlier on, um, despite the fact that they wouldn't go to bed because they wanted to stay up with you. But um, yeah, I just mean if there you, you go, the crack is too good. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but if you look at it, like the fact that you spent so much time with them over probably the last two and a half years, maybe in some ways gives you a little bit of leeway that you could maybe go off for a little bit just for obviously for work reasons, um, mm. and not maybe feel as guilty because you've been there a good chunk of the last couple of years. If you get me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, because before, before you know, before I uh, split and whatnot, I was kind of like, oh, Mo, what, I have to spend a full night. Oh, you know, I, I really, I think, I think the uh, the ex did have a lot more on her shoulders. Like, I, I'd be, you know, I, I was able to go off for like six weeks, film, have great crack back in Mayo, whereas like she was, you know, here with two kids, and it was only really what like when I was taking them full time myself, I was like. You know, I was like, shit, man, this is this isn't as easy as I ex- thought it was. And um yeah, it's just it's like anything else, you've got to get used to it. And yeah, like I said, the personal growth that I that I have is two different two different people altogether. And I think it was it was one of the best things in a in a roundabout way. There's uh there's, there's an old there's a saying that um fair play to Tony Collier, if you listen to this, the solicitor I had for that court case in Dublin, which was a crock of shit looking back complete fucking cell um but uh, i said to him you know like how you, you know I, I it's calmed me down in a lot of ways and he said well martin you know sometimes bad things don't happen to you they happen for you and that's for anyone who's listening if you know sometimes shit happens and at the time you're looking at it going where is the upside to this and it's only a few years later when you look back and you're like okay actually yeah this if it wasn't for this, this wouldn't have happened and this wouldn't have happened. And who knows what would have happened if that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, things happen for a reason and, um, you know, it's, it's the road less traveled and, you know, it's, um, it's only when you look back over certain things that they're actually a blessing at the time. Hmm, I think they shape you, um, which is actually probably a, a nice way to, I suppose, uh, leave it there because I know it's quite late where you are. Um, half, past 12 i think oh, the clock just be chicken um but yeah look uh i just want to say huge thanks for coming on and uh and having You're a welcome chat. great really, chatting to you 
really enjoyed it and uh, obviously um if any agents maybe listen to this you might get in touch with martin and uh get yourself uh, don't worry and about himself that. I'll, a bit I'll, of work there was a reason there was a reason why i was like leaving the agents i was like i'll ah, leave them for a bit it's grand you know it's like yeah i, I just kind of if i'm if i'm totally honest i kind of just lost interest in it all do you know what i mean and i just i, I was enjoying i was enjoying just like a, a normal life and and i think there's there's a great there's a great there's a great solace in that whereas it's like oh i have to worry about you know make sure that's in by tomorrow you know filming self tapes finding someone to do it with you i mean this is like most people if I'm, any actors are listening like but that's all part of it and it's like yeah but you didn't have your own tv show beforehand so i was like well you, you know we kind of got really spoiled with having our own tv show like we kind of did it backwards so like and I remember my my brother-in-law Mike, who was the director. He was like, "You don't realize how fucking fortunate you were because the odds of something like this taking off and straight into TV is astronomically low." And um, we just kind of like it happened so quickly and so smoothly that we we were kind of like we just felt normal to us. Do you think in a you in know? a small way that it, it was like? Because you look at so many people now who go from maybe social media to TV and stuff like that. Like, you were one of the first kind of ones who did that in terms of, like, Bebo yeah. and YouTube were the, your avenue to then get into mainstream TV. I think things are very different then. Like I said, I you know, I, don't, I don't think there was that many Irish productions even on YouTube that, you know, I, I think when YouTube was relatively new when it happened and um, as was Facebook... Uh, or or Bebo if it was still going, but like just just so much saturation and content out there. Like not only with other people who are coming up as um, self creators, you you know you have like influencers and uh, video blogs, and then you have people coming from like the mainstream with their own podcasts and YouTube channels. So you've got so much. There's just so much saturation on the internet. It's a very difficult and competitive world to uh like you were saying that you've got eleven thousand subscribers on youtube that's that's a, a fantastic achievement i know you might look you, you can look at people like i know i saw this video of this woman who does you know murder true crime makeup tutorials um bailey something and she's got 6.6 .6 million views or subscribers on youtube and he's like that's in, that's mad money you know it's, and when you get when you get to that level it's like can you showcase this makeup can you you know, you're you're. That's when you're basically, you get paid large amounts of wedge for branding deals. So, um, yeah, like, but uh, a, a, like a subscriber base of eleven thousand, that's a significant amount of people, and it takes and it does often take a long time to to get to that level. And I think with with like YouTube compared to something like TikTok, you're, I think the algorithms are very different. And YouTube yeah. is still, it's the biggest search engine in the world or the second biggest after Google. Well, I think it's one of those so, things like, with YouTube is that like you can, you can put something there and leave it there. And then two years down the line, something might happen. And those keywords that you have, all of a sudden it just goes zoom. And I've had, I've had it because I've had like Rio Ferdinand and Gary Neville on uh, my, my, the Irish football fan TV YouTube channel, just for if anyone's thinking it's this channel, that's 11,000. That's not the case. Um, but yeah, anyway, 
so the ones like Gar- uh, Rio Ferdinand talking about Alex Ferguson and the Miners coming in talking to the team before they went out and then all of a sudden that just went boom so it's that type of thing but TikTok like mm-hmm. if you put anything up about Roy Keane on TikTok you're talking half a million to a million views It's and, and, and I've started using it recently and I must have got from 7,000 to 12,000 in the last two weeks just based off Roy Keane World Cup content no uh, I have to say what well, just before I go I uh, heard something about Ronaldo and Solskjaer. I don't know if it was when Ronaldo was the... Well, it must have been, because apparently Ronaldo was the one who said it, that when they went in for the halftime team talk, I can't remember who they are playing against, but Solskjaer showed them a video of him scoring the Champions League final goal in 99, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they went out and got beaten 5 <laughs> Was that maybe Brentford? No, he wasn't the manager then. It was Ten Hag. I don't know. I I, I heard something along those lines. So I'm not. I'm not entirely sure uh, what what team or or maybe it was Liverpool. I it was Man, was Man United when when he was managing Man United. But uh, yeah, he was like, "This is how you do it," and he's showing him like winning, scoring a, a fucking class goal, and then they went out and lost five nil. It must have been. It must have been last season because obviously he was he was sacked uh, and Ragnick came in, so it must have been around mm, this time last year was, or before. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, but uh, Roy Keane. If, you, if, you ever, if you're ever looking to uh, to go viral, all you got to do is talk about Roy Keane. Trust me. Sound. Um, put Roy Keane in all my TikTok videos. I haven't. I haven't done anything on TikTok. Like the thing is, I think also I was just oversaturated. Twitter, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, um, Instagram. It's just fucking too much, man. I haven't got the time. You know, it's like people are like, why aren't you making videos? I'm like, I'm not interested. Do you know what I mean? I, I like I, I just. I spend too much time watching other people's shit. I think, I think it could be good for you though as another avenue. As I said, it's another set of fresh eyes and you were speaking about a younger audience there that it just might be worth your while just to, to have a look at it. I mean, you, you don't even have to... Um, I could probably tell you off camera a couple of tricks as a trade that might help you straight off the bat. Um, you tell me I was going to be a good lad. We'll say good night to the... or, or, or good day to the, to the viewers now because um, I really must get, get to bed. Yeah. Don't forget to tell me those things off camera good night, Paul. Well, I won't forget, don't worry. Um, yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll wrap this up anyway so I can let you go to bed at least um, at a reason... Well, After bubbles. I was going to say a reasonable hour, but not so much but yeah if you're listening to this video or watching sorry um don't forget to subscribe if you're watching on youtube if you're listening on spotify and um audio uh, or sorry apple apple podcasts um give it a five star right and review i'm not really too sure how the podcast uh, world works but i'm more into thumbs the up. youtube thumbs up thumbs up yeah. and, and review. subscribe if, if yeah and also i've got maloney's digest on youtube as well you can plug that yeah. and if i can plug, plug, plug it and you want there go on um if you like the Hardy books and you want to hear a little bit more kind of in detail, I have the Hardy books uh, podcast and the later episodes of that have been a thing called the Hardy book, which you won't be disappointed. You'll get, you'll have a good laugh out of it. And if you're having a, like a commute from, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're flying or if you're taking a long journey, just stick that in, man. If you're falling asleep, have a listen. You'll have a giggle. And that's all I can say. Well, I'll be thanks checking it out. Thank No, thanks to you. Absolute pleasure. Uh, right up there with uh, the best podcasts I've done so far. So thanks very much. Episode 10. Check no it out. Thank you very much. No problem. Good night, everybody. <laughs>